Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi with our own 40 things that we love about Return of the Jedi. There's so many things. There's more than 40 things. Yeah. And yet we made a list. We did make a list. It's not going to be a list episode. I mean, the conceit is essentially a list episode, but we're not going to go like one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, but six. Trust, just trust there are 40 things, okay? There, there are, are 40, 40 things. There are 40 things. Uh, <laughs> but we thought it would be fun to kind of go through some of the things we love about Return of the Jedi. And I don't know. It's always fun to talk about one movie at a time, especially because it was just in theaters. And it's the first time either of us have seen an original trilogy film in theaters. So it felt like we needed to kind of commemorate rate it somehow. Yeah. It's actually so crazy if I reflect on it about how we have never seen before Return of the Jedi, an original trilogy movie in theaters. Mm -hmm. It was so special to watch it. And I know that we'll get into it, but it really is an insane fact that it's taken us this long (laughs) to get here. And it's not for lack of trying. Like I think that if there were the option, we would have taken it, right? Oh, yeah. There was no option. <laughs> well, wasn't okay. Wasn't the only other option? Didn't they show the entire saga before one of the sequel trilogy films came out? Yeah, that yeah. was that. Was, we were never going to be able to we, do that. No. I know that there there are definitely people who are listening who did that, but yeah, just that in, was in terms our of our life. mental state, it was just never going to happen. Yeah, as much as I would love to do that in isolation. Like if that was something that they offered just on a random Thursday, I would totally do that. But before a new movie in which I have so much like anxiety and anticipation about, I was never going to spend like 12 hours <laughs> in no. the movie theater for that. I have a lot of other <laughs> things that I need to be panicking about. We, but I, we barely survive our sequel trilogy viewings because we would see yeah. them multiple times in one night. And I mean, we all know how The Last Jedi went after... <laughs> exactly. After we saw that, it survived on a full day of like cheese sticks and popcorn, and it did not end well for us. <laughs> for Charlotte, particularly. Specifically, so, Charlotte. I didn't want to, yeah. yeah, Charlotte. <laughs> you can throw me under the bus there. Yeah, I just, I was so anxious about it. It just, again, it just would have never happened. So I, I think that this being Return of the Jedi coming back into theaters, and I understand there was a very limited amount of theaters that this movie was in. I think it was 500 theaters or something, which is not a lot. I feel very lucky that we were in, you know, a metropolitan area in which we could see that. But it is insane that it was our first one. And I know that if you're listening, you're like, that's crazy. But maybe some of you are also in the same boat as us. But yeah, maybe you want to start off the list, Caitlin, with some of your thoughts about what we love about Return of the Jedi and this experience in particular. Yeah, so I wanted to start off uh, kind of our conversation about Return of the Jedi in that I got to take my three oldest nieces to see Return of the Jedi in theaters with me. So that was really exciting. And I realized kind of belatedly that this is actually the first time I've watched Star Wars in a theater (laughs) with family members, which is kind of wild. (laughs) And if if you're a longtime listener of Skytalkers, you know that my family is not 
they're just not into Star Wars. It's not really their thing. So it, that was never a thing where we would go and see it as a family when the new movies came out. In fact, I would go with Charlotte's family to see them <laughs> when the new movies came out. But uh, a couple months ago, I started uh, watching all of the Star Wars films with my three oldest nieces. And it's been such a treat. And it was really exciting to get to take them in theaters to see Return of the Jedi. And we're almost done with their full saga watch. It's been a very slow and steady pace for us. We actually just finished the prequel trilogy and have watched The Force Awakens. But it was so cute because we were... I was telling them that we were going to go see Return of the Jedi and they were, they've been kind of excited to get to the sequel trilogy and, and Ray and everything like that. So they were a little bit like, Oh, well, we already saw Return of the Jedi. And I was in the car and I was like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I was like, I have never seen this movie in theaters. The fact that you get to see this movie in theaters at such a young age, such a young age is really, really important. And they were like, oh, okay. And and how lucky are they that they get to watch that in theaters and then go home and watch Mm -hmm. The Force Awakens right away? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty great. We did that one. We did the, the Return of the Jedi on a Sunday and then uh, the last, uh, the Force Awakens, that following Friday or Saturday. So we just have the Last Jedi and uh, the Rise of Skywalker left, and then I told them they can start any show that they want, and I think they're going to start the Mandalorian. That's what I think a lot of their friends at school talk about is the Mandalorian. So they're kind of excited to start that after the saga is complete. But I was like, nope, we have to we have to lay the foundation of the saga. <laughs> but the first time they watched Return of the Jedi a couple months ago uh, at their house, they really liked it, um, and they were totally in on Vader's redemption and totally picking up on his like emotional cues throughout the throughout the episode throughout the film and they've become like really big Luke fans um, over the course of the original trilogy which is great for me because I'm a big Luke fan but (laughs) (laughs) uh, it was great to to have them watch it and and my youngest niece uh, Blakely she's six she had kind of fallen asleep the first time we watched Return of the Jedi so half of the movie was kind of her first time seeing it (laughs) in theaters uh, on some parts of it but they had a great time and it was super special to watch it with them and I've never seen three little girls inhale popcorn at the rate that they inhaled popcorn throughout this movie. It was, <laughs> I was like, we've, we've got to slow down, girls. You are, <laughs> I got like the big popcorn. And anyway, it was, they were like monsters, little monsters eating the popcorn all throughout Return of the Jedi. It was great. I don't mean to ramble. I've just really enjoyed the experience of watching Star Wars with them for the first time and getting to take them to the theaters for Return of the Jedi was, you know, just top tier for me personally. Yeah, I think that's really special. Yeah. So if I were to start off my list of things I love about Return of the Jedi, I'm going to start with something very personal, just like you did. (laughs) Tell me, what's the personal story for you? Luke Skywalker's Chanel boots are (laughs) so personal. It's just something that could be so personal. Um, So Luke Skywalker's boots, I think that this has become a meme a little bit about his black outfit and these black boots that are just giving the most. Um, I love these boots so much and I love that they're called the Chanel boots, even though as a little bit of a fashion person that I am, if I can even claim that. I don't know if I can. They're not actually Chanel boots. I just (laughs) need to share that. But I think for the sake of the universe, I think they can be (laughs) Chanel boots, you know? 
So I think it's amazing that in Return of the Jedi, Luke returns in this like totally killer outfit <laughs> that is all black and the boots are just such a vibe. You, so, you know what Luke is doing? He's giving. He's, he's dressing for revenge. He is. He's, so he's in his reputation era. <laughs> I feel like in his reputation era. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I love it so much. And I just think that we need to start there with the Chanel boots. <laughs> and like I said, it's very personal. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very extremely personal. <laughs> the <laughs> Chanel boots. Yeah, I um, I think that you and I both kind of had this in kind of multiple parts on our list, but just the music and hearing the opening fanfare, the crawl in the theater was just absolutely spectacular, I think. Although we'd be remiss to talk about Return of the Jedi without talking about the three dots at the end of the crawl, mm -hmm. which is also mm -hmm. personal, and but rather than good personal, I'd say like a personal attack. It is a personal attack. Yeah. The fact that there are four dots in every single crawl except for Return of the Jedi in which there are three, I it has plagued me for I most of my life. I twitch. It's an eye twitch for sure. It's really insane. I don't understand how someone let this happen, how this isn't something that has been changed during the special, special editions. editions. How are we still here with the three dots? And also like how do I get to the point where I grow to love the three dots versus the, like fact that it doesn't match the rest of the saga with the four dots? I don't know. It's like even knowing that all of the fonts and like even color of the crawl is kind of different throughout the years doesn't bother me. Like I, I think it should maybe bother me because it's not all consistent, but the three dots just really kind of sends me over the edge and yeah. I, I think this would be a great time to once again push our crawl episode that we did like three years ago. That uh, no one listened to. That no one listened to. It came out right before Thanksgiving. <laughs> we can't blame the people. But <laughs> we did an episode where we talked, where we analyzed and annotated all of the crawls of the uh, Skywalker saga. So I'm sure we talked about the three dots in that episode too. And we're still equally disturbed. Mm-hmm. I'm so disturbed to be honest. Like, <laughs> I I know that we're talking in jest here, but like, it actually really bugs me that it's just three dots instead of four. And I think that at that point, like, we need to move on. But I think everyone needs to know that this has plagued us for so long. And I just I have to think that we aren't the only people. No, so. no, we're absolutely not. What's Return the of the Jedi is an A plus movie, but has a <laughs> B plus it has crawl. A B, B plus crawl. <laughs> And it's only, it's not even because of the text of the crawl, it's because of the ellipses. The fact that it went full ellipses versus the th four dots, which isn't an ellipse, like that really bugs me. <laughs> okay. We, we have to move have on to from move the on. B plus crawl. A plus movie, B plus crawl. We should put that on a t-shirt. Um, <laughs> I, okay. I think one of the things that also gets me that's on my list is I wouldn't say this is something I necessarily like about Return of the Jedi. I mean, I do. But the droid torture chamber in Jabba's palace, I always forget how dark it is. It's so dark. And the little gonk droid that's upside down and gets his feet branded. And he's like, oh, he's like so scared. It's so sad. It really is so sad. But I have to say something that kind of bugs me about that scene <laughs> is that the branding never actually reaches the gonk droid's feet it's like going on like a disney ride and knowing that 
it's an animatronic over and over again. And that branding doesn't actually reach the feet. Shouldn't that make you Am happy? Am I crazy about that? The gong droids yes, are, your, are your babies. For sure. But I think they are my babies. You're right. But I think that it's just, it is something that like gets me every time. And maybe I'm <laughs> totally wrong about that. I want someone to prove this to me. But I swear the brandishing doesn't hit the feet in which. They decided the that would be too dark. It would have made it PG-13. <laughs> so true. Before PG-13 was the thing. But yeah. yeah, I think we should linger in the Jabba's Palace a little bit. So on my list there, I feel like in the movie theater, so just to go back to the place of Caitlin and I finally seeing Return of the Jedi in the movie theater. There were so many good things about seeing this in the theater. And one of them was how many of the weirdos you could see in Jabba's palace in the shadows behind the screen. Like, I don't know. I couldn't see it in what some might call like the full screen widescreen of your DVD player when I was younger. And I feel like you could see so much more. And that was so great. I loved that. And it really reminded me of the Tom Spina Blast Points, Amy Ratcliffe panel that happened in Celebration Anaheim, where they Mm -hmm. went through every single behind the scenes creature that was constructed at ILM for Return of the Jedi and how much work went into those and how you can't really see like 90% of them. But honestly, in the theater, you could see some of them. And I could recognize that. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I did too. I think the lighting, it just, it's different on a giant movie theater screen. And I don't know, it feels like there's a million places to look at once, but almost like there's more time to look at everything that's going on on screen. Totally. And and if we want to linger here in Jabba's Palace, I have a couple of things on my list for this. Um, I think Boba Fett touching that one lady's face or her chin or whatever mm-hmm. is just such an iconic moment for Boba Fett's characterization and how I would assume so many people characterized him as like a womanizer or like the best ever <laughs> when that was basically all the Boba Fett content that you got. And when I see that in the movie theater, it was something that was so funny was that people laughed and sort of like loved that little bit when he touches the chin of that one woman and I don't know. I love that. I love that like miniature characterization of Boba Mm -hmm. Fett there. Yeah. I think the humor and the like moments that you remember from Return of the Jedi are just so good. Return of the Jedi is my favorite uh, original trilogy film. And I just think there's something about the pacing of it and the humor of it that just really kind of uh, captures the audience. I think even throughout this whole beginning sequence with Jabba's palace and the sail barge and everything, it just continues to be some of my favorite Star Wars, no matter how many times I've seen it. I think uh, our year of Jabba continues <laughs> for you and I. I know we both yes. had a couple <laughs> comments on our list about Jabba. Famously, Charlotte and I have had a renaissance a renaissance with Jabba the Hutt this year. The past 12 months, I don't even know. I wasn't going to mention it, but due in large part to our favorite Instagram account, Mighty Java's Collection. (laughs) And we got a lot of Java merch at Celebration this year. Is this the fifth time we've mentioned (laughs) Mighty Java's Collection on the show? Feels like it. It's 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 getting up there. It really it's, is. And honestly, the Job of the Hut newfound love was on my list too. Mm-hmm. In addition to the newfound love of the Rancor, yeah. which I felt like is more in line with the Book of Boba Fett and how much I love the Rancor and the Book of Boba Fett. Um, I think actually I thought about the Book of Boba Fett a lot when I was watching Return of the Jedi Me this too. last time. 
and I I loved that. I loved experiencing a, a Star Wars movie I've seen a hundred times a little differently because of a television show. I, I love that, and I think the Rancor has always been a creature that. I think the scene with the Rancor versus Luke has always been exciting and great. And obviously you're rooting for Luke, but I think that scene at the end with the keeper has always really hit hard no matter what. And it hit a little different this time coming from Book of Boba Fett. And I re- I really enjoyed that. Um, and I think that I just really have this newfound love for Jabba's palace, this whole scene, which I'm a little ashamed to admit that I used to think is like a slog. I used to think of as like a slog to get to the real meat of Return of the Jedi, which I think is the redemption aspect and like the parts with Luke and Vader, which always used to be like my bread and butter for why I loved Return of the Jedi. But I I love the Jabba's Palace stuff nowadays. <laughs> and I think it's because of, like you mentioned, that Instagram account, but also just, I don't know, learning more that more about what went into this entire part of the movie. Yeah, you know, I think I've always loved the beginning section of Return of the Jedi uh, with Jabba, but it was never because of Jabba himself or anyone around him. It was always because of what was going on with Luke, Leia, and Han, and Lando, and Chewie, and the kind of antics that they were getting into. I know one of my favorite moments is when they're on, when Luke and Han are on the barge, you know, going to the Sarlacc pit, and you know, Han is like, oh, I think I can see something. And Luke quips, there's nothing to see. I used to live here, you know. And Han goes, you're going to die here, you know. Convenient. <laughs> I don't know. I just, It's perfect. <laughs> it's such a good line. I love their delivery of it. I know that I know that Harrison Ford has has made a lot about uh, thinking that Han should have died in Empire Strikes Back and how he's kind of made into this comedy role a lot in Return of the Jedi, but he does it so well. <laughs> and the way that he delivers these lines is just so good. And uh, you can really see the difference between Luke and Han in these moments. And one of my all-time favorite moments from Luke is when R2 throws him the lightsaber and he does the whole like flippity flip off of the off of the plank and you know, just absolutely iconic. But uh, yeah, I'm with you though. Kind of sorry to backtrack, but on Boba Fett, I feel like I thought about him a lot. This isn't the first time I've watched Return of the Jedi since the book of Boba Fett, but I don't know. I was definitely thinking about him a lot when watching it in theaters and especially especially when he falls into the Sarlacc pit and thinking about his exodus from the Sarlacc pit was kind of my immediate next thought, uh, which was kind of cool knowing that his story continues and that he does have all of this like character development in the book of Boba Fett and how much I love Tamar Morrison and I hope we get more of him back in Star Wars because he's just so good in the role and yeah uh, the other thing I kept thinking about from Book of Boba Fett was the Hut twins were the Hut twins and hope they're doing okay hope they're doing all right I want to see them again (laughs) me too I love them so much and they were really such a highlight of the Book of Boba Fett I will never forget the first time we laid eyes on them (laughs) I It was love at first sight. It was. This was even before our Jabba Renaissance, and they they appeared and they slid onto the screen, and my life was never the same. I was like, they appeared as like an oasis out (laughs) in the screen, and then they they came forth and they were real. They were real to us. So real. (laughs) So great. Anyway, I really want to see them again. I want to hear what antics they're getting up to and how they are, you know, 
what new places they're being carried to across the galaxy. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> this is why we need a season two of Book of Boba Fett yes. because it has to fully revolve around the twins so that we just get them more because they're just such a perfect character design. <laughs> I'm so obsessed with this. I, more huts, please. Like, I'm obsessed. <laughs> On on the opposite end, as much as I love Jabba the Hutt now, I also hate Jabba the Hutt. And I think when Leia slays Jabba the Hutt, it's just such a good moment. And experiencing that in the theater and hearing the audience cheer when Leia does choke Jabba is really invigorating <laughs> and felt really good. I don't know what your theater was like, Caitlin, but my theater was like packed full and people were shouting, cheering, clapping, and they really did cheer for Leia slaying Jabba the Hutt here and I cheered along right with them. I thought it was great. And I think there's something just to comment on that when you're in a theater with people who have seen the movie before or never have and are so reactionary. I've seen Return of the Jedi like a hundred times on Disney Plus or my DVD player or something and it really is special. I've basically seen it with like maybe four people max in a living room, right? <laughs> and I think that when you expand that number and you see you're in a room with people who actually enjoy it just as much as you do or just on some level of enjoying it more than like your average person, uh, you really get an amazing response. And that was really special to hear that. It even like made me tear up a little bit and just like the power of the moment of Leia slaying her captor. I think it is just so great. And I know that Caitlin and I have spent a lot of time talking about Leia as a character on our essays on Carrie series. I don't know if people have talked if I don't know if people have checked that out. It's a series that Caitlin and I do on academic essays about Carrie Fisher and Leia um, that are about feminism and understanding the character of Leia through different lenses. And I think as I get older, I appreciate different different iterations of the character of Leia and this really hit me, I guess, in the theater watching this scene. Yeah, I think especially because this kind of reinterpretation of Leia as the Hut Slayer is relatively recent in the timeline of Star Wars. And so to have a theater that's reacting to that moment specifically kind of in support of that Hut Slayer uh, persona for Leia, I think is really cool to see how fandom has kind of embraced that interpretation of that interpretation of hut slayer kind of superseding slave leia totally and as i get older i think obviously i prefer the hut slayer terminology but i can't forget about the fact that for like 30 plus years leia, like that iteration of leia was referred to as slave leia and sometimes i like wrestle with that a little bit in my mind and i don't know if that makes sense but it makes more sense if we talk about it on our essays on carrie episode. So if you haven't checked those out, this is a plug for that. <laughs> Just to stay on the topic of Leia a little bit, I found myself really struck by something that I had never noticed before this last time I watched Return of the Jedi. And there was a lot of revelations, but this one for me was the biggest revelation. And it was how much I love the Leia as Boosh, the bounty hunter who's masked part in the the movie. I think that I, I've loved this scene forever. But what really struck me is that Leia as Boosh takes off her helmet to Han Solo. Han Solo is blind. He is unable to see and in a lot of ways like incapacitated. And Leia removes her helmet and reveals herself as someone who loves you. 
And what really struck me in this instance was how this scene with Leia and Han actually mirrors the Vader and Luke scene at the end of the movie mm-hmm. and how when, and I just had never thought about this and I just think it's really brilliant because when Leia reveals herself, the first thing she says is this is someone who loves you. And so I think in the first act of Return of the Jedi, we're instilled in this thought that, you know, a Skywalker, as we learn Leia is, who takes off her helmet, is unmasked, is someone who is loving. We get that with Vader and Luke later when Vader sacrifices himself to save his son, but then also wants his helmet to be removed in front of his son just so that he can lay his eyes on him for the first time in his entire life. And I think the whole scene, I I don't know, like it's just really emotional to me because I think it's very clear. It's not like Vader says, or Anakin, I guess you can say, Anakin says to Luke, like, oh, I, I love you, son, right? Like, that's not something that is said, but we get, we start the movie with Leia taking off her helmet, revealing herself as something else to someone who doesn't know who she is and says, you're so, I, I am someone who loves you. And then we get the, re, basically the same thing that happens with Vader taking, with his son removing his helmet and Vader, Anakin, you know, saying like, your, your sister was right. And just all these things, I feel like it was so reflective and really underscores the fact that Anakin sacrificed himself for love for his son. Um, and that both of these people who are mass are someone who loves the other person. And I just like, it really blew me away in that moment. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever really thought about the parallel between Leia and Vader, uh, with the unmasking. It's such like a great bookend to both the beginning of the film and the end of the film. And if you wanted to take the meta a little bit further too, then we could start talking about how, you know, most people kind of associate Leia's personality and tendencies with Anakin rather than Padme, for example. Um, I can't think of the Obi-Wan quote right now, and I hate that about myself, but (laughs) (laughs) um, that great quote from Obi-Wan in the show to to little Princess Leia um, about like her passionate father or something like that. That's very much Leia and her tendencies are are a lot like Anakin in a lot of ways. I think that's such a great parallel um, that I also hadn't really thought about. It's just, it's one of those things that like, it blew me away in that I had never considered it as -hmm. someone who has watched Return of the Jedi as much as I have and have always looked for those kind of parallels. And it just, it's one of those things that like, when it, when it like strikes you when you're in the movie theater surrounded by this like insane sound, like it really like overcomes you and you're like, oh, wow this is one of those movies that's like so brilliantly written. No wonder it's like a classic. (laughs) And I can't believe I've never noticed that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, totally, totally. I will say one of the other little pieces of foreshadowing that I was thinking a lot about in this viewing was uh, in this beginning chunk of the film when Luke gets his hand shot, uh, his mechanical hand, and how this is in a lot of ways really good foreshadowing to what's going to come when hi- with his duel with Vader um, and the emphasis on the hand. And I know, of course, we've talked a lot about hands. Hands are a language after all. And uh, kind of this parallel between Luke losing his hand and Anakin losing his hand. But I think specifically this moment in Return of the Jedi of 
Luke's injured mechanical hand, and then this kind of being uh, something that is heavily emphasized and part of Luke's kind of realization about what he's doing, the path that he could be on when he looks at or when he chops off Vader's hand and sees all of the wiring and stuff like that. Mm. And I don't know. I thought it was a good little a good little moment of foreshadowing that I don't know if we've necessarily talked about that moment specifically, but in, in our greater conversation of, of hands are a language. But yeah, it was something I thought about and yeah, I think I think it's interesting that you say that's a moment of foreshadowing because I would actually say that's backshadowing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Not <okay>. to me. <laughs> because I've always thought that that moment was Luke realizing how similar him and Vader are. And like, I know that's what you're getting at and that it is like a foreshadowing of like his dark path of like turning more machine now than man. But I always felt like when I saw that, at least my sort of in the past like five years of us having this podcast and things like that and talking through things deeply about like redemption, what it means. I have always thought that moment was a moment of Luke realizing, oh my gosh, we're similar versus, oh my gosh, we're similar and that is bad. It's more like, oh my gosh, we're similar. And like that is a man and we have made the same mistakes. Yes, yes and no. <laughs> I I agree with you that yeah, I think it I think the moment is Luke saying we're similar, but I also think there's a shade of this like that could be me. Like the whole point is now Palpatine yes. wants Luke to take Vader's place. Um he doesn't necessarily say that, but I think we all know that's what Palpatine would eventually have wanted Luke to do was to take Vader's place. Um yeah. so I I don't know. I think yes, I agree with you that it is that we're similar, but I also think it's it's both sides of that. We're similar. We're, we're both human, but then also I like, I could go down this path just as easily too. And, and almost like a look what's happened to him the same as me in some instances too. And I think that the emphasis, like the fact that they added that shot in the beginning of the film of Luke injuring his mechanical hand only to then have the focus be on the mechanical hands at the end as well um, is intentional. And I don't know if I've ever really thought about there being two scenes effectively about the mechanical hands mm -hmm. <laughs> in Return of the Jedi at, at opposite ends of the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that to that note, something that I think about a lot actually is the deleted scene of Luke igniting his lightsaber that just to kind of move on a little bit um at our first at caitlin and i's first star wars celebration in 2010 they announced i think on the last day that they were going to be coming out with the blu-ray disc that we all know the nine disc set of the six skywalker saga movies before the sequels that came with nine nine discs with three of them being bonus features and they announced and showed us for the first time this deleted scene of Luke constructing his lightsaber before he goes into Jabba's palace. And I think about this all the time because I think it's so crazy that we saw that for the first time <laughs> together. <laughs> Although, do you remember that oh, when that yeah. was shown? It was like, oh my God, there's something new to see. <laughs> exactly. It was so crazy. And I think I think so highly of that Blu-ray disc and how special it was to buy it because I literally bought a Blu-ray player so I could watch this, these bonus features. Um, but the fact that there was something separate and then it just made me think about how I think it's so brilliant that Luke's entrance into Jabba's palace 
is when it is versus when he's constructing this lightsaber. I think the green lightsaber reveal of his like new lightsaber, I think it's good that it happens off screen. But seeing this first, if you haven't seen it, please Google it, of Luke outside of Jabba's palace in a cave basically constructing and like putting together this lightsaber and igniting it for the first time. And I think that would have been cool and it would have been fine. I don't I don't think we would have thought much about it if that was the first introduction that we saw of Luke. But I think it really is powerful to see the first introduction of Luke in Return of the Jedi being this like Jedi that you don't really know where he stands. It's been three years since Empire Strikes Back. This is just me imagining what it would be like to see Return of the Jedi in the movie theater, right? But I would imagine there's so much theorizing that goes into where is Luke? Where is Luke's mental state after he finds out that Vader's his father? Is he actually his father? What's he going to do? He left Yoda's training. He could turn to the dark side. He could be like on his own path. And I think the reveal of him in Jabba's palace, like, yeah, he's a Jedi Knight. Sure. And that's what we hear about. But he does look darker. Like he has this, like I mentioned, the Chanel boots, but like (laughs) this like whole new fit that's all black. That's all (laughs) different. And I think it's, I think it's really powerful to have the entrance that we get. But I do think it's it was so crazy to watch that deleted scene for the first time with a bunch of fans in the theat- in in the convention center when we saw that in 2010 and it really is so insane that that was that that was a deleted scene that no one had seen for so long <laughs> yeah i think that scene would have been it kind of would have added to the ominousness of luke uh going into to jabba's palace because it is like that dark cave kind of vibe and it's like ooh this bright green lightsaber in the middle of this dark cave like what is going on i can't even remember if you can see luke's face super clearly in that scene either so i wonder if you could have even thought oh is this someone different um it's been a minute since i've watched the scene honestly so it could be very obvious that it's luke but uh i think i think ultimately you're right that it's it's good this spot where we kind of had this reveal of luke and his lightsaber but it's interesting to think about what we would have thought about luke if that had been our first shot of him yeah i kind of i don't know i think that there's been so much conversation in the past five years ten years about the Last Jedi and Luke as he gets older and how we perceive Luke Skywalker as a character. Everything that we saw in the sequel trilogy is not necessarily like super surprising to me (laughs) and never has been unlike some people who watch that. And I think that's totally okay too if like that is your perception that you were super surprised by that. But I feel like it might have, maybe it would have been good to see this side of Luke at a little bit earlier. I don't know. Who knows? I think this whole viewing actually Return the Jedi really made me kind of think how everything that we see from Luke and the last Jedi kind of starts to make a lot more yes, sense. Totally. Sense isn't the right totally. word because I kind of, I've always bought into Luke's trajectory uh, in a character arc. Um, so I think, and, and that's coming from someone who was, if you go back and listen to our initial last Jedi reaction, you'll hear that I was very kind of shocked and a little bit like, I don't know what to do with this version of Luke <laughs> upon first watch. Yeah. And I think it should be noted that maybe if this is your first time listening to Sky Talkers, like Caitlin's favorite character before Kylo Ren, I guess, was Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. So 
it's an interesting place to always be in when your favorite character is Luke Skywalker and then your other favorite character is Kylo Ren. Yeah. So <laughs> something yeah. to just keep in mind. Yeah. And I think you could definitely hear that kind of conflict in our initial Last Jedi reaction. But of course, I became a huge Last Jedi fan and it's definitely my probably my favorite Star Wars movie. Definitely my favorite of the sequel trilogy. But I think I guess if we're going to move into some of our Luke commentary here, I think I was really kind of struck in this viewing of how I can see the version of Luke that removes himself from the story and goes to Octo in isolation. And one of the big things, this is really jumping ahead, but I was just thinking a lot about how Luke doesn't tell anyone that Vader is his father in this like entire three years and that he's kept this secret and this burden to himself for this long. And I literally have no idea if I've ever really thought super deeply about this before. I don't, I don't know, but it, it kind of hit me again, like the first time, I guess, in this viewing. And I was like, you know, this detail alone could have really pushed forward the narrative that we will see on Bloodline of Leia not telling anyone, of them not telling Kylo, of it coming to bite them uh, later down the line with Ben Solo and then Luke uh, feeling the burden and guilt of that, that he does and, and his choices with Kylo to then leave and seclude himself um isolate himself on Octo. And I don't know, I think there's kind of to your point about how Luke is presented in the beginning of this film. It's like he's got a new fit. It's a little dark, darker. Like, who is this? What's he been doing for three years? And what he's been doing for three years is ruminating on Vader as his father to no one else, just him. And I think that's really important to think about with his character. And, and I really don't know if I've ever kind of internalized that, uh, when I've been thinking about Luke's characterization, especially for that length of time, right? For three years, that's a really long time given everything else that's going on in the galaxy. He hasn't told Leia. I, I don't know if R2-D2 knows, like <laughs> who is it? Who is there in Luke's life that he can talk to about this? And I think this is a really interesting facet of his character uh, that he chooses to keep this to himself. And, uh, yeah, it, it kind of, like I said, it kind of clicked into place some things about Luke going to Octo later on um, in the sequel trilogy era. And yeah, I don't know. What did you think about that? Yeah, I think that's so true. And I haven't thought too much about that, but I think it's really something that we should think a little bit. And I'm glad that we're talking about it now. Um, that there's a lot, you know, Sorry. Let me just backtrack. I think it's really good that we're talking about this right now because I actually do think that maybe you're forgetting that we ha have talked about this before, Caitlin, in our concealment episode about how something that is so crucially a problem with the Skywalkers <laughs> is that they don't talk about anything <laughs> and how everything would be better if they'd actually communicated <laughs> a little bit clearer. <laughs> And this is one of those occurrences. I think even, even the conversations about how Luke talks to Leia about how they're siblings, Luke leaves a lot on the table and also like conceals a lot um, before leaving. And I think it fills Leia with a lot of anguish and anxiety to the point where she like doesn't know how to talk to her, you know, 
I guess for lack of a better term, like boyfriend lover Han Solo about, right? Um, I think I think a lot about how the do you remember your mother conversation, to be honest, not to shift gears completely, but I do think it's in the same realm of conversation about mm -hmm. how things aren't really talked about. They're sort of like talked around. And I think this is a whole thing in Star Wars in a lot of ways, um, not just like intertextually when we talk about the Skywalkers and their issues. But I do think that Star Wars thrives a lot on vagueness. And I think about the do you remember your mother conversation? And every time I watch it, I I suspend my disbelief even more, <laughs> if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, it doesn't bother me in the slightest, which I think it's maybe not like it the three dots. No, that bothers me <laughs> to my core. This doesn't bother me that much. And maybe it should bother me a little bit. But I think I can sort of rationalize some of it of like Leia remembering feelings. And I think that her feelings are potentially the force. And like, that's fine. But that conversation, I think, is a lot. We think about that conversation in the context of the original trilogy as like a very revelatory conversation. But like, it's really not. They don't talk about a lot, right? <laughs> like, they just say, oh, by the way, you have the force. You are my sibling. And like, oh, you, you recognize that. Like, you know, it's not, this isn't weird. This is how it's always going to be. But by the way, I have to go kill her father. And Leia's like, uh, you don't have to go do that. It's, <laughs> it's okay. And, I, and then he leaves, Leave you know, and th way. that's it. Yeah. And I think that, like, they don't talk about anything and then they don't talk about it again. And, like, that's it. <laughs> so it's sort of. Um, it's just. They don't talk about anything is the point. And I think it's interesting. And what, what happens is the audience is left to their imaginations, which is good and bad. Um, again, like I said, that conversation bothers me less and less as I get older. But when I do think about the context of, like you said, if we want to put that in perspective of the Luke Skywalker who does run away from his problems in The Last Jedi and removes himself from the situation because he thinks that's the smartest thing to do. Of course he does because he doesn't actually talk about it until he sees Leia and force projects himself across the galaxy in order to have the important conversation. And like, thank God he did because <laughs> after that he dies. dies. But like if he didn't have that conversation, right, I, I just he needed to have that conversation. <laughs> you know? And yeah, that's, that's it. I have a lot of deep thoughts about it. <laughs> well, in continuing our deep kind of Luke thoughts, um, let's return to one of our other faves, Yoda. Uh, I think we both have been thinking a lot about Yoda in Return of the Jedi and kind of his, uh, his last scenes with Luke. And yeah, you know, I was kind of struck this viewing of like, did he just decide that it was time to join the force right. now and I was I have so many questions the, the, <laughs> calm down calm down <laughs> and I don't know the way that he kind of even still hesitates to admit the truth to Luke is still something so interesting Charlotte and I you know before our our new love of Jabba we had a reckoning with the character of Yoda in our summer series just called Yoda. Um, there wasn't a fun name to it. It was just called Yoda. <laughs> but we talked a lot about our relationship with Yoda and his uh, characterization within the film and then also his characterization and kind of his um, 
what's the what's the right word here? His reputation with the audience, I guess. Like Yoda kind of lives these two lives, both within the film and with the audience in a lot of ways. Um, and we kind of broke down our own uh, feelings and analysis of all of that in our in our Yoda summer series, which I think was 2019, 2018, something like that. But I think in this viewing, I was struck once again of this, like, why can't he just tell Luke the truth of what happened? Why does he have to die right now? Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) I have been waiting to talk about this because I have a lot of thoughts and they are written as follows. Did he wait (laughs) to die until he saw Luke again? In which case, like, if he waited to die to be with Luke, that's just mean but also (laughs) he barely was willing to like admit the truth as like the last living person who would know the truth for Luke he like barely wanted to say it and like if you nodded off a little bit in the scene in Recover the Jedi (laughs) you would miss a lot you know what I mean like if you think about it okay second when did he accept he was gonna die why then? Why now? Why did Luke have to witness that? And why was that important to the story? Listen, like Kaylin mentioned, we've had a reckoning with Yoda. I actually love the character of Yoda a lot now. I didn't used to, and now I do. And his scenes are amazing. But this whole thing is so perplexing. <laughs> Where Luke comes back, he's like, I'm going to finish my training. I'm so sorry, Yoda. And Yoda's like, nope, Gotta peace go. out. Time to die. And <laughs> I think that's like traumatic. Like poor Luke has dealt with so much trauma and he's like, yo, can you tell me the, the, like, am I, is Darth Vader my father? Like I am struggling here. (laughs) And, and he's like, yep, your father is. And then, (laughs) and then, you know, he's like, no, there's another Skywalker and then dies. (laughs) I mean, he just says there's another. Yeah. No, he says oh, he there's says, another no, Skywalker. Right, right, right. And Bye. again, if you're not off in this moment, you miss a lot. <laughs> and to the point where Luke has to be like, Ben, what? ghost, what is happening? What am I? And I just, I feel for Luke. It's the point. Because I feel like this is interesting. And I think just in the context of knowing Yoda, understanding the netherworld of the forest and like the different you know, passage points and how to transform into a shadowy blue ghost and things like that. And we've seen all that in the Clone Wars, right? So you see this scene with new eyes as like he is welcoming death. But at the same time, it's sort of an inopportune moment when Luke really needs some answers. And I just feel bad for him. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. I mean, you do think it's been three years since Luke has been back on Dagobah. And again, he's kind of keeping all of this to himself uh, and kind of wrestling with if this is the truth, if it's a lie. And he finally makes it back to Dagobah to talk to Yoda about this. And Yoda becomes one with the force. (laughs) Super inconvenient. (laughs) Super, super inconvenient. So inconvenient. Yeah, that was definitely one of my kind of big thoughts. I like how you phrase it of if you nod off, you're going to miss some important bits and bobs in there (laughs) it's like if you're not hanging on his every single word like luke was if you're if you are not taking the place of the luke character at this moment then you are gonna miss some serious important (laughs) stuff and i think about that a lot 
So <laughs> I think, you know, even in our conversation just a minute ago about Luke and him and his character arc to who we see in The Last Jedi, uh, you know, it, it feels like Yoda kind of removes himself from this story when he becomes one with the Force. Uh, and we kind of see Luke do a similar thing when he goes to Octo. And how could he not if this is he kind of sees Yoda make this decision as well when uh, the proverbial shit hits the fan and Luke decides to do the same thing uh, ultimately. And then, you know, to have it in The Last Jedi be Yoda that kind of talks some sense into Luke as a forest ghost, I think is also kind of a, a nice full circle poetry at rhymes, yada, yada, yada kind of moment. Best scene. Best yeah. scene ever. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we've really touched on just how good the speeder bike chase scene is on the big screen. Continues to be iconic. Luke Leia moments in this film never disappoint. And you you kind of already talked about the moment with Leia and Luke at the end, you know, with the whole father-sister reveal. But one thing I do love about Return of the Jedi is how it kind of continues these moments of Leia being able to read Luke's feelings and sensing how he's feeling. And to your point earlier about Leia's feelings being the force, I think they do a good job of kind of zeroing in on those moments. Uh, Like when he joins them, you know, before they go to Endor. And then when she sees him go out onto the, the little boardwalk, skywalk, whatever it's called (laughs) um, in the Ewok village. And she goes after him. Um, She just has like a, she's very, she's in tune with her twin brother. And of course we saw that kind of at the end of Empire Strikes Back for the first time. And I like how they continue these little moments of this in Return of the Jedi. I do too. I can't get enough of like the twin moments Mm -hmm. (laughs) in, in Return of the Jedi, which is funny because I don't love them in the sequel trilogy. I like the moment where Luke and Leia finally talk to each other in The Last Jedi, but everything else I'm not a huge fan of. What else is and there? The end of, of Rise of Skywalker and oh, like the a training. bunch of stuff. The okay. I, you know what? I don't mind the training if I'm being honest, but I a, a bunch of, I don't know. Maybe I should take that back. I don't know if I really stand by that. Just uh, whatever. <laughs> I don't love the end of Rise of Skywalker. So like that's it. Um, that said, I do love the twin moments. And something I really wanted in the sequel trilogy actually was more acknowledgement of the fact that these two are siblings. And I'm really glad that we did get that through a lot of different ways. Um, but some of my favorite moments in Return of the Jedi are the fact that Luke and Leia have like matching cute little outfits on so Endor. Fun. I love the matching ponchos. I think that is so cute. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love when Luke says, you know, when Han is like, you were supposed to watch her. Where is Leia? And and Luke's like, we got separated. <laughs> and I love that because it's so meta because like they did get separated at birth. Like I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and they were babies. When baby- they were babies. And like sort of on the same topic, you know, we use the Luke and Leia theme in our podcast in a lot of ways. In the beginning of it, if we have a three-part episode, when we talk about like our prologue. Um, but the Luke and Leia theme is so rarely used. And I have always loved it. And I think it's a beautiful theme that reflects the force, force theme and also brings in Leia's theme. And I just have always loved it. I think it's really sad and beautiful at the same time. And it's only really ever plays here and in The Last Jedi. So 
God bless. <laughs> I remember, don't you remember when we were waiting for the last oh, show yeah. to start in a movie theater and they played some like preview before the last Jedi started and they use the Luke and Leia theme and throughout the entire like prologue of waiting for the last Jedi to come out it and Carrie by at this point had already died and it was sort of like if if Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher don't get a scene together in this movie this is sort of like the last chance for that to happen so hopefully Ryan Johnson pulled through and it was like well we don't know if if he did. <laughs> and then this preview played the Luke and Leia theme and you never hear it. And the point is you never hear it. And I think they had recognized, like they had called out that it was like on the soundtrack for The Last Jedi. And I was like, oh my God, Caitlin, I can rest easy. Something is going to happen <laughs> in this movie in which the Luke and Leia theme has to be played, which means that they're going to be together. So that was so good. <laughs> so yeah, good. Well, what I remember from that moment is you just breaking down sobbing as soon as yeah. I think it was a feature and they showed John Williams or Orca's uh, conducting the orchestra for Luke and Leia's theme. It was some AMC special or something like that. And you were just in the seat next to me eating popcorn and just sobbing. <laughs> like, it was like, it's happening. It hasn't even started yet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, speaking of the Ewok village and kind of everything happening there, I think you and I both really enjoy C-3PO telling the story of the original trilogy. And I love all the Ewoks kind of listening, the ones right on Han's leg as Leia is also kind of cuddling him is super cute. I think there's a couple like outside trying to peer into the windows and 3PO sound effects. It's just such a cozy scene. And I don't know. I love the power of stories bringing people together. Yeah, I have loved this for so long. And I think that on like a meta level, I think that 3PO telling the story of the original trilogy to the rest of the Ewok village really reinforces how 3PO and R2-D2 are like the framing narrative of the original trilogy and maybe the whole Skywalker saga, at least the prequels in the original trilogy. Um, so like so much, like we start the original trilogy, we start Star Wars with these two and the fact that they've been there through through it all and 3PO telling the story and like you said like the power of storytelling I think that's so important and I love that there's this like quiet moment here that even Leia perceives as like romantic because it is romantic because storytelling is romantic and I've always I've always loved that mm -hmm. I don't know I think that 3PO can be like especially in Return of the Jedi like a gag scene right of like yeah you know, he's the golden god and things like that. And I love that. I really do. But then he turns around and is like the storyteller that can capti can captivate a whole audience. And then it, it, it signals to the audience that like, no, like we're following these heroes that are known throughout the galaxy. And this is their like epic story and we're following an epic and 3PO is here to orate it. And I think that's really cool. I love the idea that 3PO has this kind of sound bank in his droid brain with the sound effects. <laughs> totally. Uh, <laughs> like, how does, does he record those? Does he download them from somewhere? Is that like a LimeWire situation? I don't know. Not, not the LimeWire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Music on demand. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. <laughs> um, 
Well, kind of moving towards the end of the film, I, you and I have talked about this scene a lot in the past, I would say, two years. It's become one of our favorite scenes from Return of the Jedi. And it's the scene where Luke and Vader are talking after Luke turns himself in. And I think this has become a personal favorite. It didn't used to be when I was younger, but it has become a personal favorite uh, in all of Star Wars and especially in Return of the Jedi of Luke and Vader's conversation. Uh, one thing I love about this scene is that it actually takes place outside. And again, it's kind of this nice parallel in a, in a little bit to Luke and Leia's conversation just a few scenes earlier, you know, outside with all of the Endor trees around them. And now Luke and Vader are outside looking out onto the trees. And it's kind of like this no man's land a little bit before Luke is taken away to the Emperor. And I don't know, there's something about this scene. It's so good. And uh, when my nieces watched it for the first time, actually, the two that were awake <laughs> in this scene, they were both so sad in this scene. And all they said afterwards was, oh, Vader still loves his son. And I don't know. I think to me that was just a great succinct way of how this scene is so effective for these two characters and how, you know, Vader is doing so much with the mask and his body language. And um, there's just such sorrow and it's too late for me, son. And the Obi-Wan show kind of kicks the emotion up a couple of notches with that line, I think, for me. Yeah, I completely agree. I think this conversation is one of those that I can't believe was written in 1983 without mm -hmm. the prequels in mind because you watch it and it fits so well unlike the do you remember your mother stuff which like doesn't really fit but I like <laughs> suspend my disbelief but this I don't, there's no disbelief to be suspended this is existing in the world in which I have so much context for the thing that I think is so powerful about the scene I love that you zeroed in on the environments of it all because I think that's so important to recognize is the fact that it's outside and that it is no man's land because I think as an audience member it's subliminally telling us that there's like somewhere to run right that there's like a mm -hmm. wildness versus a confine like the confinement that you get when you're on the Death Star you know tr basically trapped viewing the battles that are happening around us like this is completely separate this is before Vader surrenders Luke to the Emperor Emperor this is when he doesn't actually have to do that. This is, there's actually somewhere to go, you know? And we've seen it. We've seen that wild, right, with the yeah. Ewoks, with the Ewok village. I think that's so true. But I find this conversation just so reminiscent of things that, of the past. But you don't even have to see the prequels to understand how effective this scene is because there's so many pauses, yeah. too, that, are, that allow the audience to have a sense of imagination between what Vader is thinking about, what Luke is thinking about, what the next move is going to be. It's so good. And to that, I want to also talk about how later when the battle between Luke and Vader is happening with the Emperor overseeing, after all that happens, I think something I wanted to call out in our list is the Luke that, sorry, the shot of Luke dragging his father's body through the corridor. And for the first time in a long time, I've thought about how I really wondered if Anakin actually was dying or if he could be saved and how 
in a world of Star Wars in which I've seen people's bodies that have been blasted get like completely rewired and like robotic and everything like that. And I know that Vader is already there. So I think that's a little different, but I still think that he probably could have been saved. But at this point, like it doesn't matter all he really wanted out of his life at this point. Like he sacrificed himself, like the sacrifice was enough. He wants to see his son's face for the first time with his own eyes, without his mask on, without anything being between them. And just the the shot to me, I just think it's so devastating. And when you see it in the movie theater, you, you get the sense too of Luke dragging his body when everyone else is running to someplace else, some escape pod, figuring out some way off. And Luke is dragging this like robotic body through crumbling remains. And he's willing to do that. And he's actually willing to do more than that, right? Like I think Luke is willing to put him on the ship to take him to wherever he needs to go. But that's not really what Anakin wants. So I, I, I don't know. I think about that a lot now after that. Yeah, I think one of the things I think about with that scene particularly is how no one else cares what's going on all on right. the ship. You were talking about all the people running around behind them and how they all know who Vader is. They probably know who Luke is too, or at least some of them do. And none of them care about what's going on or that their leader, because I guess Vader would be the next leader of the Empire, is, you know, missing in action or being drugged through the ship uh, with his helmet off. It's it's kind of like, oh, man, like all of that was for nothing. And all of this, quote unquote, prestige or power that Vader had accumulated during his time in the Empire was worth nothing because none of them came to save him in the end, uh, which is, you know, that's the Empire. Of course they didn't. But to see that Luke, you know, is going through all that effort uh, is really meaningful as his son. So I think that we've like gotten to the end of the movie, which is just normal for us to like jump to the end and overanalyze everything. But I think in our, Caitlin and I each made a list, as you can probably tell, and we skipped over some of them for the sake of the conversation. <laughs> so I think we have some stragglers that we want to get through to say, to make sure that we hit 40 things that we love about Return of the Jedi. So Caitlin, do you want to go first in your stragglers and then I can go? Yeah, my stragglers are, I think your stragglers are more fun, but I have just three. Uh, one of them being the detail in Jabba's palace when, you know, Leia uh, has rescued Han from the Carbonite and they've both been caught by Jabba and the rest of his croons. And, you know, Han is trying to plead their case and Leia has to kind of move him around so that he's actually facing Jabba when he's talking. Yes. I uh, love that. I love all the small details that remind yeah. us that Han is actually blind. Yeah. It's just a good moment. Uh, then another one that I should have mentioned when we were just talking about, you know, Vader and Luke is uh, that moment outside that scene before Luke gets taken up to the Death Star is the pause after Luke gets taken away where we pause with Vader walking to the railing and putting his hand on the railing and kind of like a <sighs> kind of moment. I think it's so important. So good. And yeah, then another totally. one is when Luke there's that a particular expression on Luke's face when he's being hunted by Vader during their duel where he looks so scared. It's when when Vader is taunting yeah, him about, about Leia. Leia. Yeah. FYI. Yeah. It is. And 
it's just such a particular expression that I don't think we see on Luke in any other scene throughout all of Star Wars. And I oddly remember this scene being used so much in fan vid edits, edits on YouTube <laughs> circa 2008-ish <laughs> time frame. I just felt like they really overutilized this scene. It's kind of burned in my brain. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of a weird straggler to end on, but that was my last well, straggler. <laughs> I think that scene is, or that shot is particularly shot super well mm -hmm. in the fact that Luke is in the foreground and the lighting on him is very blue and black. And in the background, um, I can't remember specifically cause I don't have it in front of me, but I remember he's like off center. It's not a center shot. Yeah. Um, the light kind of just, cuts across him. It's it's just really crafted super well. Mm -hmm. And it's something I'm not saying Star Wars isn't crafted in the same like beautiful way that it was back then. But it is just a really beautiful shot with lighting. And the lighting in the original trilogy is something I've paid very close attention to in my in like recent years. And this is a really good scene that highlights how beautifully shot light on someone's faces, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So my stragglers kind of go back to right after the Jabba's barge situation and everyone is reconvening on the rendezvous point. I love how Han volunteers for the mission and doesn't tell Leia about it. But then afterwards, Leia is impressed and is like, <laughs> count me in, general. And I love it. It's, it's so just good. so heartwarming. <laughs> it's, uh, and I'm in too. <laughs> Luke appears. Yes. So great. <laughs> so good the gang's all here I, think, I don't mean to do this but i'm going to oh okay so i think star wars does something super well in that it recognizes its gang okay the original <laughs> trilogy in particular it's trio okay it they, oh, it trio. nailed it because i think i re i remember something so specifically and it was like i was young and i had just seen pirates of the caribbean dead men's chest which is the second pirates of the caribbean okay and my dad was like and it's just so funny how you remember like specific comments. My dad was like, you know, I liked the movie. It was really long, but I felt like in Pirates of the Caribbean, they were all friends. And in this one, I didn't feel like they were all friends. Mm -hmm. And it made me kind of sad. And I remember being like, that's true, actually. Like, I, I think that obviously Pirates set up a lot of different dynamics between the character that like the three main characters in that movie. And I'm obviously not here to talk about Pirates, but I think that comment is really interesting because I think Star Wars does respect the fact that, yeah, we think they're all friends and it's nice that they're all friends, you know, and they all went back to save Han Solo and there's not really a super huge acknowledgement of that's like saving, but that there is an acknowledgement of the fact that they're like hugging and the gang's all here, you yeah. know, and that's really nice. It's just nice to feel like that as an audience and to like root for your trio you know, the characters that you've been introduced to. And like I say trio, but like I also feel the same way about Lando too. Love. I love them. And I love the fact that Return of the Jedi doesn't shy away from that. Yeah, I totally agree. And then the second thing that I didn't mention before is how much I love the scene when Leia meets Wicket, the Ewok. You know, she crashes and Wicket is there. And the way that she interacts with Wicket is so different from what you might expect. And I think that it doesn't get talked about enough about how Leia is like not afraid of this creature with a spear, you know, and the fact that she's immediately holding hands with Wicket. And I think that's so cute. It is so <laughs> cute. And it really goes with the dare to be cute aspect that George instilled in Return of the Jedi. 
but it also makes Leia such a amazing hero in the fact that she is like, Oh, you're scared of my hat. Like it's a hat. <laughs> are you hungry? Cause <laughs> you know, snack. and I think, yeah. And I think that, you know, are you hungry? Have a snack is so like, why are you angry? You're you not know, you when know. you're hungry. You're hungry. Yes. It's very Snickers, but it's also very, um, I don't know, a little unexpected, I guess. And it's just perfect. And then on the same vein, I will say that Leia's entire makeover in the Endor Ewok village. And this is my last one, by the way. Um, I used to not like this makeover as a kid because it was like very jarring for me to see Leia not have like a crazy hairdo, but instead have her hair all down. It's just different. You know, it's like, whoa, she has really long hair type of vibe. (laughs) But now I love it. And I think I need to cosplay this the next time I can because I I really love this outfit and I think it's just such a great dress. Yeah, I agree. Alaya's whole wardrobe has definitely grown on me as I've gotten older. And it's so weird how that has happened. It really is. It because I remember us sitting in the in my basement watching during our Star Wars marathons and being like literally talking Ooh. about this outfit and saying we didn't like it, didn't like the hair. Um yeah. which you know kind of makes sense though, because in our day and age, the the stick straight hair was super in. And totally. so her hair is is very long. I wouldn't say it's frizzy, but it's like very thick, very big. So it kind of makes sense actually, you know, reflecting why we probably didn't like it back then. (laughs) Well, our our scope of knowledge of like fashion was like so small. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like, again, we were young. We hadn't lived a bunch of years. We hadn't lived. It's just like we didn't know. (laughs) And I think it's just interesting when you think about it that way. I've we've talked about this. I keep plugging this, which I just haven't talked about in a long time. But our essays on Carrie episodes, it, we really talked through our sort of personal renaissance with the character of Leia and how we've always loved the character, but she wasn't our number one for a long time. And I think that for both of us, like she means so much to us now that it's weird to look back on scenes like this one on Endor and be like, oh, I remember when I didn't like this outfit because like, how could I not like something that Leia Organa did? Mm-hmm. That's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just wild. I don't know. Return of the Jedi is just so special and it is so great. It really is like, you know, I say that I've said that Empire Strikes Back is like my favorite original trilogy, but it's really not because Return Ooh. of the Jedi is the one that makes me feel the most. Ooh, yeah. this is breaking news, guys. I, okay, here's the thing. I think Empire Strikes Back is like still like a better movie, like if I were to put it up for something, okay? But I, I think that, that Return of the Jedi makes me feel the most. Are you switching your fave for the original trilogy? I don't really have a fave, okay? okay. I, I don't right. believe Whatever. in Whatever. the ranking, and neither not, do you. No, it's not a ranking. It's what's your favorite from each trilogy? I think Because you're right. Return we don't need to Jedi. do rankings. I think right now it's Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Caitlin and I, if if I have it, if we are not clear about this, we are so anti-ranking. Like, I can't even handle it. <laughs> I I just can't. Even though, like, there are clear favorites in the tr- in the trilogies, but that doesn't mean, like, I, I'm interested in ranking. <laughs> so... No, no. I to your question, um, yeah, I think Return of the Jedi is my latest fave. <laughs> Yay! Wow, welcome to my side of things. <laughs> yeah. I recently asked my parents both this question. They both said Return of the Jedi too. They have and taste. 
I know it's there are just, no wrong answers though. So <laughs> there's it's so true. There are there are no running wrong answers. If someone's like, "Oh, my favorite is a New Hope," because blah blah, blah I'm like, "That's true. Maybe my favorite is a New, New Hope. Hope too." Like that was a, a New Hope was my favorite for a long time, actually, uh, from yeah. the original trilogy. So yeah, no wrong I, answers. I can, be, I can be swayed so so easily, <laughs> but this year at this time, oh, okay. It's Return of the Jedi. And honestly, it's probably been Return of the Jedi for the past like two years. Yeah. Yeah. So, Well, is there anything else we want to say about Return of the Jedi in this episode? Um, not particularly. I mean, I'm so glad that we took the time to talk through it. I was dying to talk about the Leia, Bush, Vader, Luke <laughs> connection. I was dying to. So this is like, honestly, the purpose of this episode was like, I think we need to list all of the things we love about Return of the Jedi <laughs> and put it out there because it is such a special movie. And I want to say that, you know, um, Blast Points has our, our friends at Blast Points, Jason and Gabe, they have created a lot of content around Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And they have talked about how there is like a specific type of person who like grew up with Return of the Jedi and how if Caitlin and I talk a lot about like directors and like director head canons, and these are people that we do not know, right? Like we don't know these people. Yeah. But at the same time, like we can infer some things about how they grew up and <laughs> based off of like what Star Wars movie they saw. And I've always thought they have commented on this before that it's interesting that Ryan Johnson is a Return of the Jedi kid, that Dave Filoni is a Return of the Jedi kid, and JJ is a, a New Hope kid. And I think that the A New Hope situation is really reflected in an, in The Force Awakens. His love for that movie is like The Force Awakens is a love letter to A New Hope. A New Hope. In a lot of ways, I think that's like part partly due to The Force Awakens' success, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it says something about some of the creators that we we have followed who have made Star Wars about like what their first Star Wars movie is. And I don't even know what I would at this point like. I don't even know what I would say to mine. I think probably my the first like substantial Star Wars movie that I was like really into was Revenge of the Sith. And that's like my story. But I saw other Star Wars movies before that. But <laughs> so it's like it's not like a linear process is the point. But I do think it's interesting and something that Blast Points has commented on is like if you're a Return of the Jedi person, you really do check like a couple of different boxes about like you love the redemption story. You love the weird stuff and Jabba the Hutt's palace right and I think that that's so interesting and sometimes that comes up later and you can align like some of your Star Wars interests and your interest in like the weird stuff like it can kind of come back to Return of the Jedi and I think that's part of what makes it a really special movie well I think especially because you know just the time frame of when the original trilogy came out versus us watching uh the prequels or even Revenge of the Sith being like your like first movie in a lot of ways or like first fandom movie, I guess we could say, uh, because it's not like they were able to rewatch all of the movies all the time in the same way that we right. are now, you know? So it's yes. like, if Return of the Jedi was out the summer you were eight, that's what you were seeing in the movie theater every single that's weekend, ex- you know? <laughs> exactly. And not just like that, that year. It's like yeah. it was in the theaters for like three years. So yeah. like that's how it was yeah also it's interesting because i say that and your first star wars movie was the phantom menace and it's not like you're like a huge phantom menace fan i don't i'm not trying to speak for you but no. like i don't think that movie necessarily defines your star wars fandom no I but at the same time the prequels do i think yeah well you know i think i'm an interesting case just of having seen 
all of them kind of in a row because the one I felt the most connected to the first time we watched through was A New Hope. Um, But then I also don't know if that's because you were like, oh, I like Hayden Christensen. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll like Mark Hamill. And so it's like, (laughs) okay, these are then, this is like my half. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I feel like as I feel bad about that looking back. I mean. But I just think it's just the way it was. It's just the way it was. You know, as teenage girls, you got to divide and conquer. And like, if you had Uh Hayden, I had Mark. And like, that's just the way it was. Uh (laughs) I wasn't going to have the guy with the beard. That just wasn't me at 13 years old. Okay. (laughs) 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 You know, it's just kind of the way it was. But despite all of that, I do know that Luke in A New Hope was like that kind of, oh, okay, I get this kind of moment Yeah, for me totally. in a big way. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really interesting comment and yeah, uh, a good way to kind of round out the show. Totally. Um, well, I do think that's going to wrap up this episode on 40 things we loved about Return of the Jedi for its 40th anniversary. I also think we plugged a lot of our past episodes in this show, more so than we've done in recent memory. So definitely go back and listen to those and tell us what you think. Tell us if we're uh, talking about the same things we talked about back then so we can know how repetitious we're being. Actually, please don't tell us how repetitious we're being. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> but uh, please go listen to our crawl episode give it some love our actually if i had to pick out of all the episodes we've kind of plugged i would say please go listen to our essays on carrie episodes because those are probably some of our favorites that we've done in the past year or so and they're like charlotte said they're very kind of important to our reflection on who we were at 13 watching these movies honestly in our relationship and who were who we are now yeah exactly i think that has totally changed yeah exactly so definitely go and give those a listen we are hoping to do more um from that book uh this year so be on the lookout for that but anyway thank you guys so much for listening uh please tell us if you uh were able to go and see return of the jedi in theaters and if like us it was your first time seeing it in theaters uh or if you are lucky enough to see it when it actually came out in theaters uh and kind of how the experience has changed now and then for you we would love to hear about it you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Clarity and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our website, skytalkers.com, our Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all good places to find us. Uh, we would love it if you would take a screenshot of you listening to the show right now and share it on your social media platform of choice tag us and we will share it. It's a great way, kind of like word of mouth, to tell other people that you're listening to the show and invite them to listen as well. And it like makes our day when you do it. We get really excited to see those come in. And if you have time and you'd like to leave us an actual written review on Apple Podcasts um, or a rating on Spotify, we would be so appreciative if you took a couple seconds to go and do that. And lastly, if you are looking for more ways to support Sky Talkers, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Matza, Angela, Bailey, Brad, Charlotte, Chris, Daniel, Danny, David, Derek, Diana, Dylan, Emma, Fernanda, Fifi, Froppy, Jacqueline, James, Joey, John, Catherine, Katie, Kelly, Lauren, Marty, Olivia, Poncho's mom, Rachel, Sam, Sarah, and Shelby. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.